Jeff Carson, who's one of our elders here, is going to be preaching in our Galatians series. And we're going to, in chapter 6, starting in verse 6, so if you would turn to that, or it'll be on the screen and stand, and we'll read God's Word together. So Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm going to call Jeff up here and I'll pray for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for Jeff. Thank you for your goodness to us and giving us your word and giving us the hope of the gospel and um, for also giving us um, faithful brothers like Jeff. Um, would you just use him as he stands up here and opens the word and seeks to faithfully um, preach to us, Lord? Would you use him, I pray? And would you just give us open hearts and minds um, to what you would say, um, that, that we would be pointed to Christ and we would um, just receive him joyfully? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, I'm grateful to have the opportunity to preach again today. Uh, probably like some of you, uh, our family went to the homecoming parade yesterday morning. And our kids didn't quite, I was kind of hoping, but they didn't quite get enough candy for us to pass out on Halloween night. <laughs> but they came home with quite a bit. Um, and there was, you know, there was kind of some moments when Angela was, like, coaching them, like, how to get the most candy. You know, where to stand, you know, what you need to do to get the, the attention of the people passing out candy. Because it's the kids that are most excited and put forth the most effort uh, to get the attention of the candy throwers. Those are the ones that get the most candy. And it reminded me of uh, Halloween last year when um, one of our kids decided that they didn't want to wear a costume. And it's like, it's totally fine. You don't want to wear a costume. You just can't go trick or treat. I mean, if you want to, if you want candy on Halloween, you dress up, you walk up to somebody's door, you ring the doorbell or knock, and then when they answer the door, you say, trick or treat. That's just how the Halloween game is played. And if you don't want to play the game, it's totally fine. Just don't expect to get the reward. Well, I guess I softened up on that initial, you know, like hard stance. And said child did go out with some friends um, and our family uh, trick-or-treating. But, but you can just imagine our parental bewilderment when said child got back from trick-or-treating in no costume. And yet, still kind of complaining that there wasn't very much candy in the bag. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Like, don't come back here complaining. Uh, you gotta, if, if you want to get candy at Halloween, you gotta play the game, right? You don't get the shortcut of costume wearing, door knocking, trick or treating pattern. Whether it's at the homecoming parade or on Halloween, the kids who are the most excited and put forth the most effort to get the attention of the candy givers. They get the most candy. They're just, you know, some things in life that are like that. 
You reap what you sow. And so we come to our passage this morning, and, and Paul's going to pick up on that theme, you reap what you sow. So he just finished, um, Paul had just finished stating that every person will stand alone before the God who will give final judgment. And now he turns the focus back to how the Galatian believers relate to one another, to, to their brothers and sisters in Christ, and to the community. And he does this by giving four exhortations. To exhort, meaning, you know, this is Webster's uh, definition, to incite by argument or advice, to urge strongly. Four exhortations that center on challenging the Galatians to sow to the Spirit and do good to all. And that's the main point of the sermon for this morning, that we as followers of Jesus are to sow to the Spirit and do good to all. And so the outline for the sermon is just going to follow these four exhortations given by Paul to the Galatian church in our passage. And for each one, we're going to ask these two questions. Um, first, why did the Galatians need to hear this? Right? Why did the Galatians in that time need to hear this exhortation? And two, why do we need to hear it today? All right? So, first exhortation. Uh, first, share all good things with those who teach you. Look, look with me at verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This may seem a little out of place. You know, if you've kind of been tracking along through uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, it may seem like it doesn't really fit uh, with the rest of the letter to this point. But as we remember the situation in Galatia, um, I, I think we can see why this, it's not just kind of a just randomly placed piece of advice. So, you know, the first question, why did the Galatians need to hear this? Why did they need this? Well, Paul has taught in these last two chapters that life in the Spirit is marked by love, concern for others. And when Paul refers to life in the Spirit, what it means is that each of us who are truly Christians have been given a gift of new life. We were formerly spiritually dead, enslaved to our sinful nature without any hope of like working our way um, or lifting our way, lifting ourselves out of it. But through the person and the work of Jesus, His perfect life, His death, His resurrection, and now His ascension to the right hand of the Father in heaven, through Jesus we can be brought from dead in sin to alive in Christ. And as we trust in Christ for that new life and renounce our allegiance to our old nature, our old sinful nature, we're, we're given this gift of new life. And God the Holy Spirit, He, he comes to dwell in us, empowering and leading us the rest of our days to live the new life that He's called us to. And that new life is marked by a freedom from being only and mainly concerned about ourselves. You may have heard it this way, um, you have been blessed to be a blessing, right? But it's easy to slip back into a self-concerned life. And the Galatians needed the reminder to, to look beyond themselves, to look not only to their own interests and needs, but also to the interests and the needs of others, especially those who had devoted themselves to instructing them in the Word, who had been forming them in the good news of Jesus. Why else did the Galatians need this specific exhortation? Because Paul knew they were in danger of being deceived in danger of believing a false gospel. And God had given and equipped leaders in the church 
who were responsible for teaching and instruction. And it was this instruction in the truth that played a vital role in God keeping them from succumbing to this false teaching. Such a vital role that these teachers needed to dedicate themselves to it, which would make it difficult for them to have another profession, another livelihood. And this, I think commentators kind of, uh, you know, think that this is like the first mention of paid Christian ministry. The Galatians had been benefited spiritually by being instructed in the Word, then they should joyfully give material to support their teachers. If the teachers uh, sowed the Word of God in the Galatians' hearts and lives, it was right to expect to reap material blessing. And so why do we need this exhortation today? Well, I think for the same reasons. We need the reminder that we've been free to live and love beyond ourselves. We need the reminder that God is the ultimate owner of everything. And if we haven't experienced the just incredible provision for our deepest spiritual need, and we've experienced just incredible provision for our own physical needs, then it's only right for us to open our hands in generosity. God didn't save us from our sin only for us to remain consumers. Right? Either in the church or in our community. He saved us to walk in the same kind of generosity that we've been shown. And we need each other's help to do that. We need the community of faith, the church around us, urging us, like pushing, lovingly pushing us in that Godward direction. And specifically, God has equipped and called some to serve as pastors, as teachers, to help us make sense of the written word of God, to help us apply the good news of Jesus to every area of life more and more, even in the way that we think about and handle our money. And if God is using these, kind, these kinds of pastors, teachers in our lives, if, if we've benefited spiritually from these who give their lives to love and lead us, it only makes sense for us to share materially with them. Today, like in Galatia and that day, we recognize we're vulnerable to being deceived. And, and if you don't recognize that about yourself, then you're probably just being deceived. And it just shows, you know, just proves the point. God has given us pastors and teachers to instruct us in the Word and to help keep us from stumbling in our faith. So we can, in good conscience and with joyful hearts, give of our tithes and offerings to the church to fund the ministry of the church and the livelihood of its leaders. Um, a little over a year ago, I was installed along with Seth Freeman as a lay elder here in Carus, and it has been my joy to serve along these guys. These other lay elders, Seth, and you know, for uh, most of that time, Eric and Derek as well, and our staff elders, Kevin and Rob. These men lead with love and humility. They know and own their own weaknesses and failures. Um, I remember something uh, Kevin said early on. It's like, we're going to get it wrong, but at least we're going we're gonna to tell you. Cars, yeah. your pastors are not perfect, but man, do we love you. I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not saying all of this. It's kind of a weird passage to preach, right? And, and, and I'm not saying all this so that you'll like start some campaign to double my salary. I mean, that's not even the way it works. And as a layover, you could double my salary today, and it would be the same as it was yesterday. <laughs> you can't tell me that now. Come find me afterwards. 
Paul says we're to share all good things. What, what are all good things? Well, I think it's a pretty long list. But here, Paul had in mind specifically material provision, like supplying basic needs for everyday life. But surely, all good things also includes encouragement, prayer. Carson, as, as one of your pastors, let me just say that you are a joy to love and shepherd. And at the same time, the last couple of years have been difficult for every leader. I mean, it, it feels like we have been put in a position to make impossible decision after impossible decision. And God has been gracious to use your encouragement and your prayers to keep us going. But at the risk of sounding weird, and, and I really am grateful that as a lay elder, it's me preaching this passage and not Kevin or Rob. I feel compelled to say, because this is our text this morning, Karis, joyfully share all good things with those who instruct you in the Word, especially with our brothers whose livelihood depends on this gospel word. Okay, second exhortation. We'll just kind of move right along in our passage. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Why did the Galatians need to hear this? Well, I think we take it at face value. The Galatians need to hear this exhortation because they were in danger of being deceived, like we've seen. And we know this to be true from the rest of the letter. They were in danger, not just of like, you know, just kind of misinterpreting one specific passage of scripture, like, you know, just kind of disagreeing about how something's interpreted. But they were in danger of completely missing the gospel. In danger of believing these Judaizers who would come in to say, you know, the gospel is actually Jesus plus circumcision. It's actually Jesus plus observing Jewish purity laws that makes you right with God. But the deception that Paul had in mind here in our passage, it kind of comes from a different angle. Look with me at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows... That will he also reap. See, God has written this universal law into the natural world and into the spiritual world. You reap what you sow. For example, if I sow, if I plant an apple seed, I should expect an apple tree to grow, right? Not an olive tree, not a grapevine, not a like a corn plant, okay? And if you grow an apple tree, the only reasonable expectation is that from it you will harvest, you will reap only one kind of fruit, apples, right? You reap what you sow. You don't reap oranges when you sow apples. Now the focus here specifically is probably still on giving, you know, coming right out of verse 6 where he says, share all good things with those who teach you. And we see this connection between generosity and sowing and reaping and doing good in other places in Scripture as well. Listen to what Paul writes in the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
So back to our passage. Paul tells the Galatians in verse 7, God will not be mocked. Read what you said. God will not be mocked. What does he mean by that? Well, if God says something is true, like plant an apple seed, grow an apple tree, harvest apples, you know, reap apples, then to live like it's not true, but still expect the same result is like mocking God. It's like turning your nose up at God. Being alive in the Spirit looks like open hands and a generous heart. This is what God says is true. But failing, Paul, it's like Paul is saying, failing to live, to be generous toward your teachers, Galatian believers, it will show that you're still living for yourselves, that you fail to truly possess life in the Spirit, because being made alive in the Spirit is to live for God and others. How could they receive this lavish grace from God and salvation and the preserving grace of God through the instruction of their leaders and not have that grace like it, that they've experienced work its way out into generosity toward others? If we read this passage here and we miss its focus on like material generosity and we miss what God is saying through Paul in this passage. Paul reminds them and us, like, what you do with your money, it matters. But that's not all I say. This principle of sowing and reaping doesn't only apply to giving, but it actually sums up life altogether. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's exhorting them. He's warning them because they're in danger of being lulled into thinking that they could live one way, that they could sow to the flesh and still get in on the eternal, eternal reward of sowing to the Spirit. The deception that Paul was concerned about for the Galatians, it was no small thing. It was a matter of eternal life and death for Galatians, And so it is with us today. This should, this should really bring a sense of gravity to how we think about our paycheck and what we do with it. So, so why do we need this? We, like the Galatians, are in danger of being deceived. Of thinking that we can somehow short-circuit or find some way around this whole sowing and reaping principle, specifically as it relates to how we handle the finances, like the material gifts that God gives us, but also more generally in all of life. We're, we're going to get to these last two exhortations out of verses 9 and 10, but um, I, I want, really want to just kind of zoom in here and camp on this for a little bit because I think it's so crucial for us to understand what Paul was saying when he writes about sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit. We've already seen from Galatians 5 that the flesh and the Spirit are at odds. Look, look at uh, chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh, you know, not the stuff that's attached to your skeleton, but flesh here means our old nature, our lower nature, as some uh, scholars put it, our, our sinful nature. It's against, it's at odds with the Spirit of God in us. As believers, we've been free from our slavery to sin in our flesh, but until we die or Jesus returns, we still carry it around. 
Tinchester in his book, You Can Change, he gives a, a helpful definition of sowing to the flesh. He describes sowing to the flesh as whenever we do something that strengthens or provokes our sinful desires. And conversely, he describes sowing to the spirit as whenever we do something to strengthen our spirit-inspired desire for holiness. Paul has supplied several phrases in these last two chapters of Galatians that, that help to picture our new lives in Christ. You know, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. In chapter 5, verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. In 5.25, it says, keep in step with the Spirit. And now in our passage in chapter 6, 8, he says, sow to the Spirit. Paul says if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. Not only in this life, but forever in the life to come. But if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. Not only life forever with God, but the very life of God Himself in us. The differences are clear. Continue to indulge, to coddle, to feed your flesh, your sinful desires, and the corruption will become greater and greater in your heart and your mind. But continue to strengthen and feed the Holy Spirit-inspired desire for God and holiness, and your desire for God and your personal holiness will grow greater and greater. Remember, this is a principle that God has put into the very fabric of nature in our spiritual lives. He will not be mocked. There isn't a way around it. We can't outwit him here. We reap what we sow. Listen to what John Stott says about this. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and needs. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. Paul doesn't seem to offer a middle ground here. You're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. But we live like there's a middle ground all the time. Some third option, you know, that can occupy like large chunks of the time. At least I do. It, it can sound like this in my mind. You know, I'm not intentionally walking in some like overt sin in the moment and you know, earlier today, I spent a few minutes reading the Bible so I can, like, check off that soda the spirit box. So I guess, like, the rest of the time is just me time, right? It sounds kind of silly, but I'm guessing a lot of us live that way. I'm guessing that's what the, the little screen time widget on your phone <laughs> would say. I'm, I'm not saying that you can't walk in the Spirit and be on your phone. But I am saying that the kind and the quantity of media you consume, it matters. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. Imagine one of the kids here at Karis coming up to me and saying, Jeff, I want to be a professional baseball player when I grow up. Okay. 
and then you would ask, like, what advice do you have for me, since I know that you're almost a professional? <laughs> it's not true, although I did play Little League a lot of summers growing up. <clears throat> here's the advice that I shouldn't give to him, right? Okay, man, here's what you need to do. You need to go out and you need to buy the same shoes, the same cleats. You need to buy the same batting glove, the same actual baseball glove. You know, you get the jersey of your favorite baseball player. Your favorite, whoever your favorite professional baseball player is, get his jersey, get all the same gear he has, right? And then you need to make sure that you wear your hat exactly the same way that he does. If it's, you know, flat bill, flatten it out. If it's curved, just keep it curved. And, and you, you, you have to study what he does before each at bat. You know, every every player's got their own like routine. You hit each side of the base, and then you you know maybe bring your shirt up, your jersey. You got to do exactly what he does, okay? And and then when you get into your little league game, that's real. That's it. Like that's all you have to do. Just look the part, and you're golden. You're like you're like set, like destined for the big leagues. Now if that was my advice to him. You, you wouldn't actually expect him to perform like his favorite baseball player when he gets up to the plate, right? Because looking the part isn't what really matters. It's the hours and the weeks and the months and the years of dedicated practice, the, the whole life discipline, being so devoted to that goal that you're willing to orient your entire life around it. That's what it takes to get to the big leagues, and I have failed him if I don't tell him that. Karis, I feel like I, I will have failed you this morning if I don't tell you that the same thing is true in your spiritual life. Walking in the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, it's an all-of-life all pursuit. It's, it's not just about how you perform in the moment, right? When tragedy strikes, when there's a big life decision to be made, when, when a crisis comes, walking in the Spirit in, in those moments, it matters. But it's the hours and the months and the years of walking in the Spirit up to those points in time that prepare you for those moments. When the storm comes in your life and stuff hits the fan, you can't Go out and buy the wisdom and maturity and the sweetness and the rock-solid foundation of 10 or 15 or 20 years of walking with God and sowing to the Spirit. God is gracious and He'll meet you there even if you're not prepared. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You can't expect your life to be marked by sweet intimacy and godly maturity and personal holiness and a faith that doesn't rattle easily if you haven't put in the time and done the work. So, so what does it mean? What does it look like to put in the time and to, and to do the work of sowing to the Spirit? I think it can look like a lot of things. You know? Paul's already mentioned several, several of these descriptors of life in the Spirit or sowing to the Spirit. He talks about through love, serve one another. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In our passage, share in all good things. And what we're about to read in these last two verses, do good to all. Those are all ways to sow to the Spirit. He's, he's, Paul's getting at the ways that our lives are to be shaped and formed by and in our Christian community. 
Again, sowing to the Spirit means doing things that strengthen our Spirit-inspired desire for holiness. And this has to include disciplines like reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God. Prayer, worship, I, I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, imagine, just, just imagine with me, like what kind of life with God do you want to have in five or ten years from today? Five or ten years down the road. What kind of life with God do you want to have? I think if we took the time to really think about it, we could all kind of come up with some picture for that. And unless you're just totally lowballing it, I can almost guarantee that kind of life with God, it won't be yours in five or ten years without these regular disciplines. Without regular time with God in His Word and in prayer, without regular time worshiping Him, without consistently being with his people and shaping and being shaped by them. Cars don't be deceived. Only sowing to the Spirit will reap eternal life. Okay. Let's move on to Paul's next exhortation in our passage. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Look with me again in verse 9. He writes, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will be if we do not give up. So, why did the Galatians need this exhortation? Well, I'm guessing the Galatians were a lot like us. Life is hard, you know? It's natural to lose heart, to grow weary. When false teachers keep coming at you, trying to persuade you to add some other requirements to the gospel, you get run down. What was at first just kind of easy to resist, it gets harder the longer it persists. Paul writes to encourage them. In the midst of false teaching, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of just the difficulties of everyday life, don't give up. Keep going. Keep doing good. In your fight to not sow to the flesh, but instead sow to the Spirit, like, don't give up. You may not see it right now, but one day you will reap, either in this life or the next. And this is exactly why we need that same exhortation too. Every analogy breaks down at some point, and, and I think this is, this is where the sowing and reaping analogy breaks down a little bit. When the farmer sows his seed in the spring, he's reasonably certain the harvest will come. You know, given normal growing conditions, field corn and soybeans reach full maturity, ready to harvest by early to mid-fall. I mean, you can drive up to rural Missouri now. Farmers are all, they're getting their corn in the beans out. Um, they know that in just three or four months, all of their hard work getting the soil ready, all of their long hours, like planting the fields, it's going to come to fruition in the harvest. That's not always the way it works with our soil. Sometimes we sow and we sow, we labor and we toil and we see no discernible or visible harvest. And so we're tempted, understandably, to give up. You know, whether, whether in doing good to our neighbors or our gospel family, whether it's serving one another, whether it's in our fight against sin, whether it's our engagement in some ministry activity, we don't always see the harvest we expect when we expect it. But listen, brother, sister, 
you will reap a harvest one day for all of your labors. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. In due season, we will reap. It may be next week or next year. It may be tomorrow or when Jesus returns. But we will reap. Hold on to Jesus. Let the Spirit sustain you in your patient sowing. I'm convinced one of the reasons we grow weary in doing good is because we feel unseen. When you, as, as best you know how, and as sincerely as you possibly can, like you're doing good in, in some particular setting or in a specific relationship, like you've been doing good. You're striving to lean on the Spirit's power and not your own. You're striving to honor God and, and this person. You're laboring to faithfully share the gospel with a coworker or a loved one, and, and like nothing. You know, it seems like there's no movement, no fruit, no harvest. What do you do in those scenes? How do you keep going? If that's you today, I, I want you to hear your Heavenly Father saying to you this morning, my son, my daughter, I see you. I see you. I see what you're doing. I see how you're trusting me. I know you're not perfect. I know your heart. Keep going. Keep sowing. Don't give up. I am doing my work in ways that you can't see and in ways you don't expect. Don't lose heart. Keep going. There's another way that the sowing and reaping analogy breaks down. When a farmer sows his seed, there is a finite, a limited supply of seed. I, mean, I imagine farmers in the New Testament kind of like, you know, they've got the Johnny Appleseed bag over their shoulder. They're just sowing their seed. Maybe they're scattering it. I don't know. Maybe they're like, maybe they're or it was more organized in the rows. Not totally up on my first century farming techniques. But eventually, you know what happens? Like, they run out of seed. Their supply is empty. But not so with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, the supply never runs out. I've experienced this in ministry before. I experience this in parenting often, right? It's dinner time, and the peaceful, loving family meal that you envision where we're all just getting along and sharing about how our day went, and we're listening intently and honoring one another, and maybe we'll read living room liturgy, and we'll like worship the Lord together. All of that gets thwarted before we're even all sitting at the table. And I feel like, I am done, right? I can't take any more. And I'm, I'm a work in progress, all right? I'm guessing you are In that moment, I can imagine the Holy Spirit saying something like, that sounds about right. But I'm not done. I'm not exhausted. I have an endless supply of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control at my disposal. You're at the end of your strength, Jeff. Good. Lean on me in this moment. 
Draw on my endless supply. So you can learn to lean on me in every moment of life. Don't grow weary of doing good, Carlos. Don't grow weary of doing good. In due season, you will. And finally, Paul's fourth exhortation is this. Let us do good to all, especially to believers. Look with me again at Galatians 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Why do the Galatians need to hear this? When Paul exhorts them to do good to everyone, he's reminding them of a deeper truth. That every person has inherent worth and value and dignity because all people are created in the image of God. Their posture to the world was to be one of honor and dignity and compassionate service. That's how you treat fellow image bearers. But even more so toward fellow image bearers who have also been made new in Christ and brought into the family of God with you. That's what he means by especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul exhorts them, do good to all. Specifically, you know, strive to meet the physical needs of all. That's what he's mentioning. That's what he's talking about here. But that there's also to be a deeper, more prominent allegiance to their brothers and sisters in Christ and their needs. They were to prioritize their gospel family. Doesn't that seem a little odd, like maybe even a little backwards, especially with the mission of God in mind? Doesn't God use Christians doing good to those outside the faith to like winsomely draw them into the family of God? Absolutely. But giving priority to doing good to fellow believers is not at odd with the mission of God in the world. Remember what Paul had been arguing for here in this letter to the Galatians. He cast his vision for a diverse church, lovingly sharing life, lovingly sharing possessions with their very different brothers and sisters in Christ. A group of people who, who otherwise would have no reason to have dealings with one another. Remember what he writes in, in chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How compelling would it be to a watching world for the Galatian Christians to care for one another in that way? When they hadn't earned it, like when they, when they couldn't pay it back, they were to image to the world what it looked like for Jesus to be reconciling all things to himself. Why do we need this exhortation today? We need the same reminder to do good to everyone. Namely, like I said before, because all people are created in the image of God and therefore have incredible worth and value and dignity. But we're prone to lose sight of this truth. We're prone to being deceived into thinking that, you know, there actually are some people that don't matter as much. And we don't deserve the same dignity. We would, we would probably never say that. But that's what our lives betray sometimes. 
And when that has happened throughout human history, it has led to staggering injustice and atrocity. What Paul said was true for the Galatian Christians is still true for us today. As God's family, our doing good for everyone, not like everyone, not just everyone here in the community of faith, but everyone, is at least to look like material generosity so that the members of our community have their basic needs for everyday life supplied. That's pretty radical. Did you catch that? At least our doing good to everyone is to look like material generosity so that the members of our community have their basic needs supplied. We would do well to meditate on that this week and what that might look like in our lives, individually, corporately. The word do good to all and especially to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And Christ, I praise God for how well you show love to one another. For how well you give of yourselves to meet the needs of brothers and sisters in this gospel family. I mean, story after story could be told of this missional community rallying around this person, this individual, or this family to help meet a pressing need. I mean, story after story. And so I, I just want to close by saying, keep it up. Keep loving one another well in word and deed. As the opportunity arises, right, this what verse 10 says, and just so we're clear, if we're walking in step with the Spirit, there's always opportunity for good. As the opportunity arises, do good to all, and especially to those of the household of faith. Let the way you love your brothers and sisters in Christ be a powerful testimony to our neighbors, our coworkers, our unbelieving family members, and to this Walk in step with your spirit, God, we need you. I pray that you.